Hi, everyone, and welcome to the ADSR Inspirations Podcast. My name is James Mallion. I'm your host as I introduce you to inspirational and artful souls from all over the world. I'm deeply interested in music, film, the arts, achieving goals, overcoming struggles, and big ideas. So join me as we uncover some life lessons and knowledge. We're based out of Tokyo, Japan, and we'll be speaking with people from all over the world, ranging from artists, musicians, creatives, leaders, big thinkers, and those who strive to do and be great. Thanks for listening along. Now let's get inspired. What's up, everyone? From all of us here at ADSR Inspirations, your host, James, my hardworking brother, Sean, doing the production work, and Leona doing the amazing art design and social media for the pod. We want to welcome all of you back for our season two of ADSR Inspirations. We want to keep exploring the lives and inspirations of amazing people following their dreams here in Japan in all sorts of industries. But of course, as much as we like meeting all these people, this show is really for you guys, our listeners. So don't hesitate to contact us or leave us a message about ideas or potential guests for the show moving forward. We'd love to hear from you. With all that said, let's get to our first guest of the season, Lee Reeve. Lee runs a quarterly bilingual magazine all about cider, as well as importing and running an online shop selling cider. He does talks and events all about cider. He really is one of the go-to guys to all things cider here in the country. And I've known Lee since my days of working in the craft beer scene here in Japan several years ago, but I hadn't had the time to really catch up with Lee since then. So it was Cool to chat to Lee and dig into his story a little more, which basically took him from Glasgow in the UK to LA working on design to now here in Japan for about the past 20 years. All right, let's get to it then. Here's my interview with Lee Reeve. Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. Cheers. Yeah, thanks, Lee. So I know you've probably, uh, I know you've always been interested in, you know, things like writing, editing, marketing, promotion. Um, I know you've been into craft beer and cider in particular. Uh, so when yeah. did when did the cider really start to come into play? And then what sort of led from the shift uh, from beer over to cider? Yeah, it's um, uh, that's a great question actually, uh, because a lot of people don't realize it. Um, Cider is is really my first entry into alcohol. It's the first um, the first alcoholic drink I ever had. Uh, I don't know, probably too young to say on, on air. <laughs> but I was in my early teens, um, with a with a bunch of friends, and uh, yeah, somebody had pulled out a jug. I mean, a literal jug yeah. of this stuff, and you know, passed it around, and uh, you know, uh, I think basically woke up the next day <laughs> trying to figure out what had happened. And it yep. turned out that it was this, you know, scrumpy, um, the old school cider. Um, so that was, yeah, the, the very first thing I, I drank. And then when I, uh, later on, when I started to get into home brewing, um, I started with, uh, I think it was wine, actually. Um, and then I shifted from wine to beer because I thought beer would be easier and cheaper to make. But as it turned out, um, I went from beer to cider because cider was a lot, 
a lot easier to make and it was a lot cheaper to make. So um, even, yeah, um, during my homebrew days, I was doing cider more than more than beer. Um, you know, fast forward years later when I'm in Japan, um, I was, uh, uh, for, for just the fact that I wasn't doing anything, got back into homebrewing. And uh, yeah, just beer was was the uh, was what everybody else that I was meeting was doing. So I just kind of hopped back into beer, and then from there, yeah, just um, uh, continued with the beer thing. And like you mentioned, um, craft beer started to to pop on the Japanese radar. Two thousand nine, I think this is now, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, um, started uh, kind of parlayed my homebrewing skills into a, a consulting gig which led me to meet uh, a guy that was publishing this Japan Beer Times magazine. Um, I'd done copywriting uh, years before, so uh, that just seemed a, uh, a less stressful career path to make. So, yeah, I started writing for this uh, magazine, um, became its editor, uh, editor-in-chief, and I was doing that until I... Uh, this is now what 2012 2013 when i started to hear back home in the uk and in the us that um, there was this resurgence of uh cider um in uh, uh commercial cider um and i thought oh well if if cider's making a comeback then let me let me do what i uh let me focus on 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 that category because it's something that i prefer and, and love a lot more the craft beer and it just kind of yeah spiraled in from that. Sure, right. Um, so I guess, like you mentioned, around two thousand nine, there was you know I guess the craft beer boom, if you want to call it, or an opportunity. Do you kind of see a similar lapse or an opportunity in the Japanese market for cider? I know when you say cider in Japan, a lot of people maybe associate it with the fizzy, you know, the fizzy yeah, soda or yeah. pop drink, uh, like a Sprite or seven up. And I know, I know also, you know, from my experience, uh, hard apple cider is being mass produced by some of the big brewers out there. But I think at large, uh, the public perception of cider isn't quite um, where it could be or should be. Do you kind of see this as an opportunity like craft beer once was, or uh, how do you kind of view um, cider these days? Um, well, yeah, I mean, in the beginning, it was it was a huge opportunity. I, I thought it's it's since turned into a challenge, but um, uh, but it's everything that you just said. Um, uh, I yeah um 2000 uh, 2009 just for reference um yeah craft beer um that was sort of already popular in in at least in America was just getting on the radar here in Japan and it took a good you know at least 10 years for um for it to grow into what it is now I mean for the people that maybe don't drink um Back in 2009, craft beer was was almost impossible to find um, here in Japan, and now it's uh, it's it's everywhere. Um, so when I heard that craft, or when I heard that cider was, you know, that was a sort of um, uh, revitalization, 
across the pond and and back home i was using the it will take 10 years for it to become a thing so i started researching about 2014 2015 so in my head even back then i thought it would be at least until 2025 before it really became a thing in japan um I launched uh, the magazine in 2017, and then I started my company in 2018. So we're now four years later, and um, it's uh, the 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 category here in Japan is a lot better, but it's still yeah very very niche. And like you said, the minute you say cider, uh, there's this massive mis uh, misconception of what it actually is. Um, I've since learned that that's not just Japan; it's actually all over the world, um, and that's the 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 challenge of cider. It, it, as a as a drink, it is very, um, it's not very very known. Um, and something a conversation I had not too recently was, um, you know, if you say beer, uh, people immediately have a color; they've got a smell; they've even got a taste. Um, if you say wine, sort of the same thing. Vodka. I mean, any any drink. But if you say cider. Um, you know, in the UK uh, or Australia, um, the, the immediate image is this syrupy, sweet, uh, not very high quality drink. Um, in America, you've got, well, is it juice or is it hard cider? You know, is it is it alcohol? Is it not? And then in Japan, yeah, you've got the, the Mitsuya, the, the cider syndrome where everyone thinks it's a soft drink. Um, so there's... Um, there's a lot of education involved. There's a lot of challenges. Everything is uphill. But I see that as the opportunity. I mean, if I can crack that, you know, crack that um, um, that wall uh, between what people think cider is and what it actually can be, um, then, yeah, um, I, I will, I will uh, consider that an opportunity well, well, well won. Right. Yeah, that... That's a good mission to be uh, to be on and fighting for. I guess one of the main components I kind of see, and I guess if you want to draw a parallel to craft beer, is also the local industry. I suppose with craft beer as well, right? It took a lot of, firstly, a lot of good beer coming over and a lot of imports and people developing a taste for certain styles and certain companies and things like this. Um, how, how do you kind of view cider in that respect um, in terms of, are there a lot of, well, you're, you're part of it. Are there a lot of uh, good imports coming over? Do you feel like you're satisfied with that? And then, how do you kind of view the progress of the domestic cider industry here in Japan? No, well, I mean you've pretty much yeah nailed it on the head there. Um, so uh, yeah, again, I'll, I'll use craft beer as a reference, but um, yeah, in the beginning there uh, there were there were very few imports, um, and there were very few uh, craft producers when the Japanese. Um, became interested in it, it really took craft beer importers to offer the 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 styles and the quality um, that was out there. And then it took the Japanese people to, yeah, sample that, that set and um, kind of figure out what they liked. 
and then try to replicate it and uh, fail. Um, and then there were, you know, one or two of these waves where that happened. Um, and then finally, um, you had Japanese brewers and brewers to be would actually go out um, and uh, travel overseas, and they would they would learn from from brewers out uh, in other countries, and they would bring that that knowledge back. And then, uh, you know, a lot of hard work. And then you get to where we are now, where you've got a lot of you. Well, Japan now is a, is a is a craft beer award winning country. Um, and uh yeah that's again over the span of about at least 15 years um and the same you know if you go back and, and look at japanese whiskey the very same pattern um and even japanese wine um um you know once upon a time laughable i mean with all due respect but now making some some decent wines cider will follow that that trajectory absolutely so we're in the um we're in the um, we've got uh, the, the the best thing that's happened in 2019 was that um, you have uh, a sort of uh, a small burst of, of domestic producers trying to make it. Um, if you put those ciders side by side with other ciders around the world, maybe not not the best in quality, but they're you know they're they're trying. But uh, what we've got now happening also is yeah we've got an influx of of imported cider. Um, I am an, I am a cider importer and distributor, but I wasn't uh, three years ago. And the reason why I became one was because, like you said, there, there wasn't the, the options weren't there, and the ones that were here, um, they just weren't the ones that I I wanted to have in Japan. So um, I became an importer out of necessity. Like I, I had to, if I wanted them here, I had to do it myself. Um, so that's how um, that's how I got into the import business. Um, and now, uh, uh, and now there's actually competition, which is funny because I didn't think there would be, um, but there is, and, um, it's nice because it's, um, there is a demand for it. And so this, this, this fight to, to fulfill that demand is part of what drives the category and the industry here. So, um, uh, I think we will, yeah, give it another few years. And I think cider will be a lot more commonplace than it is now. Right. Yeah, that makes sense then. I suppose um, with cider in particular, a lot of it would have to do with the availability of um, the fruits and the freshness. Are there certain regions of the country that you're seeing the better ciders coming from? Does it have to do with... Uh, apple growing regions or fruit growing regions or um... that's, it. That, that's interesting um well the, the thing about japan and 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 one of the reasons i that i was excited about cider happening here is um uh, you know, well apples grow everywhere basically um in the world but they um they're they certainly grow everywhere in japan i mean almost every um prefecture here um, has got some level of of apple growing the two i say obviously because it, it seems to be common knowledge but um aomori up in the north and nagano um aomori produces something like 80 85 percent of all of the commercial eating apples um mm. on the market and then nagano produces about 18 so that's almost the entire commercial apple market 
Um, so there's a lot of Apple production. The thing about cider is um, the uh, uh, this is a, maybe a bit subjective, but um, the 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 the, uh, the more complicated, complex ciders tend to be made with apples of the non-eating variety. So the ones that are not sweet, the ones that are bitter and, and, and sour, those kinds of apples are not widely grown in Japan for the obvious reason that is that they don't sell on the market. Um, so what we are experiencing now uh, in Japan um, is uh, what's known as a modern style cider, which is a cider that's made with like a Fuji or a, or a very sweet eating apple. The trade-off is that um, you get something that's very light body um, and oftentimes in the, um, uh, yeah, again, not very complex, not a lot of full body sort of thing. But what's happening now is um, that's kind of forced Japanese cider makers to, one, either start growing these apples, these non-eating um, apples, or to experiment with different ways of making the cider. So what's happening, um, what's very interesting now is you've got cider makers. So cider is basically apple juice. That's yeast is added to it. It's fermented. It's cider. Um, are the yeast options? So um, traditionally, people use the same sort of yeast that they do to make wine or champagne. But now in Japan, you've got um, a lot of cider makers using yeast that's usually used to make beer or even sake. And so you've got these very new sort of tasting, taste profiles coming out of some of the Japanese ciders, um, which is, um, yeah, very exciting because um, suddenly now that there's a cider that doesn't taste like anything else in the world, which I think will, um, again, sort of lend to the, the, the forwarding of, of the uh, industry here. Right, right. Now, we're talking about apples. Is I may be a bit naive on this. Does cider necessarily have to be made with apples or um, is it still a cider if it's made with other kinds of fruits? Um, so this is a, a contention now all across the globe. So the, the, the original answer was, yes, it has to be apples. Um, real cider is 100% pressed apples, um, apple juice, again, with yeast added and then and then fermented becoming cider um but i mean if you just imagine yeah using one fruit won't it all taste the same so a lot of people have yeah they've blended other juices um um and that caused a lot of the traditional cider makers to become quite angry and 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 complained a lot but i think the yeah as with the evolution of, of anything, um, there has to be change and there has to be growth. And what's happened now is um, it's accepted to blend other juices. It, there has to be at least a base of apple juice for mm. it to be called a cider. But if you say take a, 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 an apple cider and add cherry juice to it, then that becomes a cherry cider. That's quite acceptable. And um, in order to accommodate that, the the um the uh, you know industry associations they've just created um categories for it so we call things like that just a blended cider um and that's even in japan um it's happening we, we've got 
um, strawberry ciders. We've got um, plum ciders and that sort of thing. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, just wanted to clarify that one. So I want to go back a little bit too, I guess, for people listening in, you know, they hear, you know, Lee's running this uh, import business and he's doing his magazine and all that. But, um, you know, obviously you've been in the country for over 20 years. Um, So I guess when you first were interested in Japan and were coming over, did you ever picture yourself in this kind of position that you're in now running a cider importing business running a magazine a media company was this something that maybe you envisioned once upon a time or did it just gradually come you know into fruition as things progressed yeah <laughs> that's it that's the million dollar question and it's absolutely did not think that this was going to happen had no plans for it um I lived, uh, so before Japan, I was actually living in um, in America, in uh, Los Angeles. I worked as a graphic designer um, for a very small but very successful uh, children's, um, um, children's themed uh, graphic design company. So we, we designed all of the, 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 the posters and, and the box designs for a lot of these, uh, the, the, uh, children animation company so what disney and warner brothers and all of those people so um i was doing that um and kind of uh i i cut I, I, well i got burnt out doing it just um it was a great job um but it wasn't what i really wanted to do so i quit um and i spent about a year in india of all places um, just trying to sort out what I wanted out of life because I was still quite young back then and um, ended up getting sick and then, for lack of a better word, just, yeah, deported out of India. And I was now back home in Scotland um, and I didn't know, uh, I just hadn't a clue what I was going to do with my life because I was recovering from um, basically malaria mm. Um and that took about six, seven months to 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 get over. And by the time that I came to, um, it, yeah, now what? And uh, I didn't really have an answer. Um, and it just so happened that I got uh, uh, a letter, and a letter, not an email or a or a text, but an actual letter from a friend, uh, a Japanese friend that I had met while I was in LA, and said, "Well, why don't you come to Japan?" And so I did, and I spent a few a few months just sort of doing nothing and uh, sightseeing or whatever you want to call it, just um, hiking around. Uh, left, came back, and then left, and I came back. I think a, th- a third time, and said, "Well, why don't I just sort of stay here?" Um, uh, yeah, and then I uh, I ended up getting a job of all places in an advertising agency. Like you know, I had just escaped one. And yeah. I was in a, a Japanese one and very quickly said, this is not for me. It was just, you know, it was, um, it was everything that I, I had, I, I was trying to forget from that, from the last job. Um, and then found myself in a space where I, I, again, I wasn't doing anything, but I was now in Japan. I didn't really speak Japanese at the time. I certainly didn't read it or, or write it. 
Um, so again, yeah, I, with with nothing to do, I sort of reverted back to to homebrewing, um, just killing time. And in my sort of search to find, you know, the the materials to to do it, met people that were also doing it, and um, led me to, hey, there's this thing, you know, craft beers is starting to happen in Japan, and um, there there were a group of Japanese people that um, that wanted to do to get their hands in on it, but didn't understand the English that you know the, all the literature was was written in, and so I just sort of became a a translator, um, not because I my Japanese was so great at that time, but because I knew the process of making beer and I could I could work it out, and that led me to to study Japanese or at least learn it. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I just um, I sort of uh, did whatever I could. I helped people organize events, um, and then um, yeah, met a guy that was just starting a magazine called the Japan Beer Times and. And I just happened to be in the right place at the right time for that. Right, right. So obviously the type of work that you're doing now isn't really exclusive to being in Japan necessarily. What would you say, you know, over, you know, how many years have you been here now? Tw- over 20 years, 20 years about? Yeah, something like, tw- yeah, at least 20, I think now. Right, right, right. What would you say, like, is keeping you around or the fascination or is there, you know, something that just keeps you interested or grounded here in Japan? Uh, well, no, that's that's actually an easy one. Um, again, so I come from Glasgow uh, as early as the 70s and anybody who's been there during those years knows it. Not a safe place. Um, I lived in L.A., Los Angeles, which is... This is now the 90s, which, yeah, I don't think still is a very safe place altogether. Mm. Um, the safety factor in Japan for me has been the absolute number one reason. It's um, the only place I've ever lived uh, that you really just don't have to think about that. I mean, um, I mean, always, you know, be aware of your surroundings and, and, and do look behind your back. But um, the, the, the fear of something... Uh, of someone doing something to you um, just really isn't here. Um, and I think everyone that's lived here for any amount of time has experienced, you know, losing something and then having it returned uh, completely intact or um, forgetting your wallet somewhere. And, it, you know, the the idea that um, at least society in that regard kind of takes care of its own is a really um, alluring and attractive um, ideal um but something that um i i didn't come to japan for but have since learned is the idea of opportunity i mean japan even though it's it's not regarded as the most entrepreneurial friendly country and i don't necessarily regard myself as an entrepreneur um but the opportunity um to create other opportunities like business opportunities is rife. Absolutely. I mean, if you have an idea, um, provided that you invest the time to learn how to do a thing, um, there, there are a lot of opportunities here. Um, I think my, my, uh, uh, 
growth experience has been um uh, I've had to learn the hard way by trial and error, but the opportunity is still, yeah, has always been there. And I think that's fascinating. Um, I love the idea that in Japan, uh, these the, the niche business, I mean, if you've, there are some crazy, crazy businesses out there, but they, they work because, um, you know, there's a somebody with enough passion and, and motivation to, to persist in doing a thing. And they can usually eke out uh, a living and um that's very very hard to do in other places in the world right yeah both of those answers kind of resonate with me too and i guess for myself i've been here around 12 years or so and the safety thing you kind of just take for granted sometimes um you know last weekend going to the park with my son and i forgot the bike lock and you just you know, you leave your bike unlocked and just leave bags by a tree and go off and, you know, everything's just as you left it. You don't even think twice about it. And then, like you mentioned, opportunity and niche markets, I've really noticed. Um, I think one thing just there's a really big population and there's people that get really invested and they're really passionate about their hobbies or their um, interests. And if you can connect with those people and there's just a, a passion or just people get really, really into something. And like you said, uh, these little niches can survive, like whatever you're into. Um, I remember, you know, going through different phases myself, like being really into, interested in, let's say, headphones, for example, and then you'll go into Tokyo and there'll be expos on headphones and hundreds of people coming to these things. And so it is interesting. And uh, I've definitely noticed that myself. Yeah. Um, and I think, um, uh, what am I, you know, I, if, if there is a listener out there that's interested in, in pursuing, you know, whatever their, their niche passion is. Um, one of my advice, uh, bits of advice would be is to really sell the, uh, trying to put this into words, the, the uniqueness of Japan out of the country. So what I'm, so in my case, um, yeah, so I am based in Tokyo uh, based in Japan. Um, but from the time that I started my company to today, um, more and more of my work really, or work, I, I would just say that more of our revenue comes from um, work that I do outside of Japan. Um, so I do a lot of consulting for for salaries out, um, out of the country. Uh, I work with government offices to uh, help uh, facilitate import into Japan. Um, and I've, I've gotten those relationships, and more importantly, solidified those relationships because I'm able to um, open their awareness to that the fact that things aren't done the same way here in Japan, that they're actually quite unique. We don't sell product the same way that they sell product in, say, America or Australia, or we don't market the same way. Um, the 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 
you know, consumerism here in Japan is so different than it is. And I mean, the basics are there, but but the things that make a product successful here in Japan are so very uh, singular. They're so different than the way that products get successful in other countries. So if you're able to understand your market and sell that uh, abroad, uh, there's a, yeah, again, the, 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 the doors to opportunity just start opening up. Mm, right, right. You mentioned you started your company more 2018. And a year or so later, um, or a couple of years, you know, you never could have guessed what the what the climate would be or what would happen uh, with the world, obviously. Um, so in terms of people going out and in terms of, um, you know, people having cider, going to the bar, that must have been a big impact on what you were doing. How did you sort of had, have to pivot? I mean, you just mentioned the consulting side of things must have gone in a certain way. Um, how did you sort of deal with that and how have you been dealing with that? um throughout the past couple of years yeah well yeah obviously that's um that's been an absolute killer um not just for cider but just drinks in general um let's see so 2000 so i started the company in early 2018 it was i think it was february um and by the end of february i was traveling the world uh speaking about the japanese market i I think I'd done like three or four different countries. And so I was just on a, on a, on a high, like, you know, everybody wants to, um, to learn about Japan, you know, things are going to be fantastic and great. Um, uh, and sort of in that, again, uh, I was thinking about growth expansion, um, I had uh, yeah gone through the, the the steps to become an important distributor. We were waiting for the the approvals on our licenses. By the end of 2018, beginning of 2019, I was um, in the United States. I was actually in Oakland uh, for a big cider conference there, um, telling everybody that I was meeting, and I'm talking you know hundreds of people. Um, yeah, you know, importing stuff to Japan and get in line and get in queue and um, uh, I'm going to sign you up and we're going to import everybody. And um, I got, uh, it was the last, my last day there. And I'd gone out to one of the um, the chemists, the drugstores and just noticed everyone's buying masks. And I thought, where are they? I didn't know they, they did masks in the United States and um, called the airline to uh, confirm my flight. And they said, you want to get on the flight right now because they will probably end up canceling all flights in the next few days. And I, I, you know, what are they talking about? And then of course, yeah, uh, uh, I, I actually just squeaked the flight, came back to Japan and not more than a week later, the, the, the announcement that, you know, COVID was a global thing. Um, in the beginning, I didn't quite feel it yet. Because, um, even when the the ban on the the drinking started to happen or the restrictions started to happen, because um, 
we had just started an online shop. So our online shop just blew up and we were, you know, sales were out the roof and um, uh, what's everybody complaining about? Uh, but then what happened was is our first, literally first container shipments of cider came into port um, and nobody wanted to buy them. Or no, that's not true. Nobody could buy them. Right. And then suddenly we had, you know, I'd just ridiculous amounts of money invested into these getting a product into Japan. And now they were just sitting at our warehouse. And, um, you know, not only are we not making the sale, but we're paying the rent on the warehouse. It's just all of a sudden, all of the money that we had was gone. Like, And now the panic starts to set in, the stress and the headaches. And then you are looking around for help and realizing that everybody's in the same boat as you, like everyone's has the same problem. Um, and actually you're not as bad. Um, one of the great things about cider, for example, is that the shelf life is quite long. It's a good mm. three years, easy, um, compared to like beer, which is, you know, a few months. So we didn't have to dump anything per se, but um, we couldn't shift it. And that it was like that for, yeah, a good year and a half, two years. Um, we almost didn't make it. I mean, I'll just be frank about mm -hmm. it. We almost completely went under, not even had it, you know, not even had the chance to start. And we were already looking at, yeah, this is it. Like we're, we're done and through. Fortunately, um, the, the government started to, to offer subsidies to help continue the, to small businesses. Um, as an importer, we were at the very tail end of that. So we just had to wait for it to, to be made available. Um, uh, when we finally got it, that kept us, yeah, you know, what's the uh, treading water? We, I mean, that's what we were right. doing. Um, I was fortunate in that we weren't a business that was created off the import model. So we didn't jump in as an importer. So I still had, like you said, you know, I was still consulting, um, and a lot of the consulting that I was doing is about, the, you know, cider futures. It's like, what is the market going to be like now that we're in this COVID? Um, and by the time that, you know, by the time that's 2021, that they were allowing things to happen again, as soon as they, um, yeah, as soon as the restrictions were pulled, our phones just lit up. And so we were able to salvage those those initial orders so that was a good thing but it, it put us back at literally um uh, ground zero you know first step so we were like a, a company starting over again um and i think the, the thing that i'm grateful for is instead of trying to do it over again was yeah, in addition to COVID, what are the other things that we should anticipate that could possibly happen? Or what are the things that we could never anticipate happening and then just factor them in as part of our um, things to our contingencies to be aware of? And that has led my, me and, and my company to really just sort of shift our entire business model. So mm. while we, you know, now in 2023, we are still an importer, but that's not our primary function um importing is something that we do on the side as part of our 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 
our new model. Um, and that's really allowed us to 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 do a lot of things. And one, just to be a very unique company. Um, but we were, again, yeah, very, very fortunate that we were allowed the chance to pivot and, and sort of um, shift um, our, our vector as far as what we, what we were trying to do, because the, our friends that couldn't do that are, are no longer with us. I mean, they're, they're co- you know, companies that have ha- had to shut down, which is so unfortunate, but um, we still see a lot of that happening even today. Right, right. Um, I guess you got into it a little bit, but what would you say some of your initial goals starting out were compared to what your goals are today then? Um, how have those sort of shifted? And I guess part of it has to do with uh, the pandemic, but overall, um, why why do you think some of those goals have shifted over time um well um let's see the in the beginning um i'm not a, a business again i think i said earlier i don't consider myself an entrepreneur and i'm certainly not a business person or i'm not a i'm not a schooled or or educated one um i'm sort of a business person by by again necessity um so in the in the beginning I was just chasing anything that that seemed an opportunity. Um, I, you know, um, trying to take somebody's idea or my idea or a co- collaboration of ideas and make it turn it into something. And and if you follow that path, what you did quickly discover is you spend a lot of energy chasing nothing. I mean, it, it, um, you might get something out of it, but the the amount of time and energy you've invested certainly outweighs any any return so um but you do it because you know you feel that you have to it's the only way you know you've just you've got to do it until something happens which is only partly true um but when you do it long enough and if you've survived long enough um if you're lucky then you can see um where the focus should be and so it's just for us, it's just, it, for me, I should say, for me, it's just taken um, the, the again, time and persistence and the failures to realize that, okay, that just doesn't work. Um, this doesn't work all of the time. And then this really looks like it could work and focus on the, it could work. Um, and again, so, you know, in the very, for me, in the beginning was thinking that, import was the answer we would import these signers that nobody's got we would sell them and because no one else has got them um you know that's how we'll make our money um and realizing that that's now i can look at it and say that's a very very silly sort of model but um um uh, again it's it's really sitting down and taking the time to plot out a, a singular goal and go for that goal. And if you don't hit that goal, then you can shift. But I think our problem, again, was just having way too many goals or anything was a goal. And that sort of thinking is um, you really have to be focused um, with what it is that you can do, what it is that you want to do, and what is it that you should do to, to for the success of your company or your business or your goal even. Mm. Right, right, right. I know 
at least it's documented um, that your wife has been a big part of your team. And um, you mentioned like the business side doesn't come so naturally for you. Have there been times you just mentioned you were you were close to you were close to shutting it down, but have you been able to bring on other people to fill those voids or are you mainly doing it just the two of you? Uh, how do you kind of yeah, how do you kind of work as a business and when you need that expertise, do you just bring people on on like a freelance sort of basis or have you been able to expand the team a little bit? Yeah, um, let's see. In the beginning, it was pretty, yeah, it's pretty much just me shouting, barking a lot of orders, mostly at the wife. Um, and yeah, haha, that doesn't really work. <laughs> I don't know why that's so hard to learn, but yeah, um, when we when when we were at that, um, you know, on the precipice of of the businesses about to fail, um, and I was you know, at the lowest, uh, really at one of the lowest points I can think of, um, it was my wife that said, you know, you're not alone um, and we can make this work. And then, you know, for whatever reason, it was the first time I'd heard the word we. Um, and one of the things that happened out of that was allowing her to um, really understand how, the company worked um, because that, up until that point, everything was sort of in my head or yeah, mostly in my head. So we really sat down, plotted it. I mean, as a graph, as a chart, as a, as you know, a spreadsheet, you know, things on the wall. And she very quickly said, well, that's silly. And, and, and she was able to point out things that I couldn't see or, you know, for whatever reason, ego blind, just too busy. Um, and, then, um, yeah, um, giving her responsibilities, um, and that allowed me to uh, not only just solidify the trust in my own wife, but as a business partner. But yeah, to free me up to do things and focus on the areas that I should have been focused on um, early on. Um, it, the business now is still it's still basically the two of us. We hire out um, people as we need them. Um, we do have a sort of core volunteer team that have been wonderful for things like events. Um, and then now, as we move into the to the future, and as our our new model um, um, becomes more of a reality about how we do things, we are yeah project um, yeah certainly by like maybe next year we'll have to actually hire people. Um, one of the things, yeah, um, uh, about doing business in Japan, um, yeah, hiring people is is one of the most difficult things for a company to actually do. It's, it's very, very costly for um, a lot of reasons. Um, so we do, yeah, from time to time, part-time, we do have part-timers, but um, um, it'll be another year or two before we're allowed to actually have our, the capabilities to have staff. Right. So, in terms of your process over the past few years, um, for someone out there listening who is thinking, okay, maybe I want to start something of my own, you know, e either with a publication sort of thing or just with a company or importing, 
would you say that you kind of need other people? Uh, it's pretty difficult to go it on your own, as you've sort of learned. Um, or I guess it depends on the business, but at least in your case, you kind of realized um, at least the two of you, you're able to kind of fill in some gaps there, right? Yeah, um, I think, well, I think it pertains to any industry. I think, um, you know, in Japan, say, for example, like the the Eikaiwa, the English teacher model, I mean, um, uh, most of my friends have gone through or or still are teachers. um, um, And there's always that, you know, uh, the the, the, uh, the one day I'll start my own school. Um, And and that's really... um, uh, bold and brave but um you that particular goal is a lot easier to attain because you've got the experience of being a teacher you've worked for a a, a company and that is re- essential so um i became a, for you know uh, uh, speaking as an importer i became an importer because i was consulting importers mm. that's not the same as working with an importer so the best advice i can give is yeah do the do the groundwork by by actually working in the industry it really saves a lot of time and trouble um and one of the things when i became when i was becoming an importer one of the one of my clients said to me are you sure you want to do this because once you get in you know it, you can never get out it's it's so yeah. it, it's it's so hard but um and he was right and he and um i wish i had maybe yeah listen to his advice but the i've just met last week even somebody who's just opened up a a craft beer bar he and his wife and i was talking with the wife and you know where's where's the husband oh he's still doing his day job there's another wow yeah if you've got the day job and you can start another company definitely do that but keep the day job um it allows you so much more time to make mistakes and not let those mistakes be the last and final ones um uh but definitely get the experience of the industry that you're trying to to enter it it just saves so much headache and heartache and financial woes and all of those things that can happen right yeah that makes a lot of sense i guess regardless of it the seems industry. basic but yeah. you know when you've got a passion the immediate yeah you want to jump right into it um uh, the people uh, in retrospect the people that i deem um are successful are the ones that really took the time to figure it out and test the waters without you know committing 100 percent um i was and i've maybe it's just because i'm from glasgow but you know very headstrong let's do it go <laughs> um, i yeah. went way too fast jumped way into the deep waters um um and you know immediately met sharks so yeah take take some time is is the best advice i can give right yeah in terms of either working in the industry as you say or getting to know the industry well um i think you also mentioned you know maybe someone who does just jump right in they they might not make it right and they may have well, a that, yeah. ser- series yeah. of failures as well um and it may be that perseverance if you 
you know, if, if you're determined to do something just to keep going, yeah. right? Right. But, you know, all the perseverance in the world cannot help you if you've got no capital to move forward. Yeah. And if you lose that all, um, it, it, it's it's a very, very tough lesson. And I've some of my I've got friends that have uh, they no longer can do. They can no longer follow their dreams because they uh, uh, it all went into the to the first round, you know. Mm. Um, you really have to go into to it. how many times will it take for us to fail before we can get success level tier one, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to let's, you know, uh, hoping for that, the success, um, your first go, because you're not going to get it. You just are not yeah. going to get it. The question is, is how many failures until again, that first level. And, and I wish I'd known that before because um, um, it does require a set of failures. It absolutely does. It's just that how many can you get through um, before the game is over? Uh, I, I've another friend of mine, very close friend of mine, um, was uh, somewhat successful in getting um, a round of investment for his uh, business idea. Um, fantastic news! But the as soon as they started to use the money to initiate their project, started encountering problems that they had zero idea would. would would come up and that's already cost you know about a third of of their capital investment so really think about how many failures um are required to get you to to a certain step right yeah that seems like great advice and probably the more time you're able to be close to people working in the industry regardless of the industry the more practice the more you know all of the sort of facets of what you're doing, um, the less surprises that you're going to have down the line, right? Yeah, and because exactly. And again, that's something you really have got to factor in, surprises, because there will always be, even now, this morning, last week, you know, we, the the surprises always come. It's... um, how you know how flexible are you to deal with that and then how well equipped is your company to or, or your business to to absorb that that surprise and then deal with it um so you know things like having the day job really does help at least you know one of the partners having a day job does help um yeah absolutely absolutely sure yeah that makes a lot of sense so you were touching on a little bit. You mentioned maybe within a couple of years, you'd be able to expand. Do you, do you have some, you've been in this, I guess, 20, late 2017, coming on 2023, five years more. Do you have some goals or some aims or some concrete plans moving forward, some things you've learned, some areas that maybe uh, you'd like to reach within the next, let's say, two years, five years with the company? Yeah, well, so um, one of the things that I'm most excited about is something that we we just launched, um, um, which is our, uh, it's called the Japan Cider Cup. It's um, basically a, a tasting competition uh, for cider in Japan. It's an international tasting competition, so it's open to cider makers around the world. Um, and that is going actually happening now. 
um, but it culminates with a with an international cider event uh, in April, April twenty second, which is a Saturday, um, and it is uh, Japan's basically only international cider event. So we will have um, um, people from yeah around the world coming to Tokyo um, in April to uh, experience the cider offerings here in Japan. Um, and that has been the result of a dream uh, that I've always sort of had, but never considered um, attainable because I was too busy doing this and too busy doing that and COVID this and COVID that and, you know, shipping container problems around the world. But um, um, all of those um, trials and tribulations, all of those setbacks, all of those, you know, failures that we just mentioned, um, basically morphed into this you know instead of me running out across the globe trying to do all this stuff why not just get everybody to come to japan on this one day and so far it's working when i but um if uh-huh. if we can pull this first one off then the second one technically should be less stressful but more, you know a lot uh more doable provided that the environment doesn't change too much um, but this just allows us to do a lot more for a lot less, um, reach a lot more people. So the my next three, five-year goal is just the uh, making this Japan Cider Cup work, number one, and then growing it out slowly um, and, and solidly uh, for the next few years. Yeah. yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, that sounds, like you said, instead of, you know, going out to the other places and going out around the world, bring the world here to Japan. And I think, you know, from my point of view, there's definitely some parallels to the beer side of things and other beverages that maybe some can work with cider, some might not work as well, but, um, you know, things have been tried before. And yeah, it seems like there's definitely possibilities um yeah and that's um again as long as i'm giving free advice uh uh that's just another really good tip is whatever the whatever the business that you're trying to do whether it's you know teaching importing retail art music is is look at other people in the industry especially the ones that um have not maybe made it um is just understanding where things go wrong or at least where things can go wrong um and then what would you do to not make those same mistakes because that will really help you sort of not just figure out success but really understand where you know the service that you provide or the or the product that you make can be unique um um because again especially if you are in Japan the opportunities um you are can be very unique. For example, I mean, I, I just, you know, we've got this international cider event. Well, there there are cider events all over the world. But what really makes having one in Japan unique is that Japan is still, you know, number maybe number two, I think, but the most wanted to be traveled to country in the world. That, you know, people want to come here. I don't really have to ask. Um, so that's a that's a job that's already done for me. I don't have to invest in in um, getting people to come here, they're going to come anyway. So, um, and I in in 
as long as you're in Japan, uh, yeah, you you are open. You have access to that that kind of um, uniqueness, and um, uh, it can yeah, it can help your, your business. I think for sure. Yeah. Um, I got to thank you for this, Lee. Uh, I've got uh, I basically just got two more questions. Yeah, that, uh, this has been great fun. That I ask every guest, and we kind of touched on the idea a little bit um, in terms of learning from other businesses, other people. So, you know, as this is called the Inspirations Podcast, uh, the questions kind of relate to that. So the first one is, uh, what are three things or three people that have really inspired you uh, in your work or with the business uh, or just your life in general? Um, just three things, three people that have given you inspiration. Um, oh, wow. Um, I think, well, hands down, the first has got to be just the arts. Um, I come from a sort of artistic background, so definitely art and music. I think as we forward into life, um, the thing that really saddens me the most is learning, um, you know, that schools aren't teaching art as much as they used to or, mm. or music programs aren't available. But I think, yeah, um, just music, art, things that, you know, feed your input in senses um, are, are invaluable. Um, as much as I love technology and, and, and you know, the internet, um, it does sadden me that we spend a lot more time focused on devices in front of us as opposed to stimulus around us. Because I think yeah. um, that's really where the, the really fantastic ideas come from. Um, people, um, I'm a huge Radiohead fan. I mean, uh, so Tom York is like just, okay. um, you know, his his commitment to being original and, and unique and you know, flipping the finger off to the system when he needs to. And, and yet, um, you know, this is a guy that you either love him or you hate him, but he still has uh, um, contributed to his industry. Um, um, I'm a huge Bjork fan. Um, mm. So just people that have, that are really attuned to what it is that they can do um, and then giving it, just giving it away to to everyone else, um, and then staying true to themselves. Um, I think that's something I still aspire to. Um, uh, and then maybe the third person are just the, some of the the friends. Um, yeah, some of some of my business friends that um, have just really been there for me. Um, and the 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 lesson from that is just. Um, learning that sharing your ideas is not a bad thing you know i i i think the old me maybe a kind of protective you know i don't want to tell him my ideas because you know for whatever reason um they're usually just selfish reasons but the more that you give away the more that you will get really it it, it it's funny how it works that way but it's true you know inspiration comes from sharing an idea and then having someone say ah you know that sucks or or that's a great idea here's why and then getting that response and then turning that response into you know adding it as a variable into the mix so for me inspiration really comes from just everybody else mm. yeah yeah those are great man yeah i think uh 
especially the ideas of being true to yourself or those people that aren't afraid to put themselves out there or like you just mentioned um sharing your thoughts and sharing ideas or sharing um things that maybe like keeping to yourself could be advantageous in a certain respect but ultimately um maybe being vulnerable and putting those out there creates a bigger connection and a better idea or a better connection with those around you. Yeah. I mean, and I'll, I'll sort of finish with um, if, if for anybody that has experienced something tragic or traumatic, whether it be, I mean, if, you know, a loss of, of a family member to, to, just getting into trouble with the police or I mean whatever the 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 trauma is the real only way to get over it is to share that experience with someone and then realize that you're not alone mm. um and I think you know talking about businesses especially just post covid um the ones the only way that I certainly got over it was being able to say you know we're in trouble and then hearing from a lot of other people, you know, we're in trouble too. And then how can we get out of this? And then suddenly you, you've got access to all of this help that you never thought even existed. And I think that just works in any any realm of, of life. The, again, the more you, you share, if you don't communicate, you're not going to get, you know, communication back. So it really is important to do that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, like you said, basically, we we all have these same issues, these things that we go through. We're all human. And yeah. when you're yeah. able to put that out there is when the real connections happen. If you just absolutely yeah. put up this front that shows, oh, I'm running a perfect business. There's never any problems. And, you know, people don't really connect to that as well. Yeah, yeah, they won't. They won't want. They won't have to. There's no reason for them to. Yeah. Um, um, but again, you know, just well, where does the inspiration come from? It, it really, in the end, comes from other other sources. It comes from something external. You know, you, it, yeah. You, you, it just it doesn't come from within, or it it's, it doesn't source from within. It sources from from outside. So so mm. seek you know seek as much um, um, input from from as much outside outside you know sources as you possibly can sure right 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 so uh last one for you then um so then for yourself uh what what does it mean someone sees what you're doing with the business with your uh importing or with the magazine or with your consulting uh what does it mean for you then to be an inspiration or inspirational to other people? Um, that's quite interesting. I don't think I've ever thought about that yet. I don't, I don't see myself as successful um, or a reason to be inspired um, yet. But um, what does make me happy um, at the end of the day is, is just kind of an extension of what you just said, is, is making the connection. Um, you know, my primary goal as a cider advocate 
is to spread the gospel of cider, is to to educate mm. people about what it is. So the the biggest compliment I can get is when someone says, um, you know, I never liked cider before, but now I I, I do, or or I didn't know that that's what cider was, or um, just um, making that connection. Um, the yeah, I, again, um, I, I don't see myself as somebody to look up to quite yet, or or to be inspired by. But I do. Um, if if I can make a connection with other people, um, if that instills a sort of you know other people wanting to make their own connection with other people, then that certainly makes me happy. Mm, yeah, yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, so. Lee, I got to thank you for coming on. And yeah, uh, my pleasure. Thank you, thank you man. Thank you for uh, sharing your passion, you know, not only with cider, but like you said, uh, this connection more than anything and uh, being true to yourself. So where can, uh, where can people, you know, support, support the gospel, follow, uh, yeah. <laughs> follow yourself? Yeah. Where can people kind of keep up with what's going on? Well, the, the question that always, you know, uh, the number one is where can you get it? And um, we have an online shop. It's, uh, w, it's Japan Cider Market. So that's all you have to pop into Google, but it's uh, www.japansidermarket.com, all one word. Um, and yeah, we offer ciders from basically uh, at least three or four different countries that you know, all year round. Um, and our prices are, you know, considering that they are premium imports are quite reasonable. Um, our shipping is, is, is extremely, uh, extremely reasonable. So if you are a cider lover or interested in, in finding out what cider tastes like, real cider tastes like, yeah, pop on over to the site and, and buy a can. All right, that was super fun getting to reconnect with Lee there. If you're here in Japan and you've never tried a great craft cider, make sure to check out the free Insider magazine or go to the website and order up a few and see what you've been missing. So there's our first episode of season two. Like I said, at the top of the show, we'd love to hear from all of you guys, our listeners. Go say hi on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Everything is at ADSRPod. We got another fun interview coming up next time with artist musician Jay Holmes, aka Evil Jay. So make sure to tune into that one. Until then, thanks for listening. Stay inspired.